Hey everyone, this is Jim again from faithtestedbyfire.com, and thanks for joining me for another Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Okay, so uh, welcome back, and today I want to talk a little bit about the name of Jesus and um, in the last podcast, I went into some detail on the name of Jesus and, and the spoken word. And when I talk about these scriptures and when I'm talking to you, um, I'm not trying to um, force you into uh, thinking exactly like I think or telling you you have to do something exactly the way that I do. What I'm trying to do is uh, share with you what's in the Bible, um, compare that to my personal experience um, and, and tell you what has worked and what hasn't worked for me. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the Bible does say that you don't have any need to have any man or woman in that case uh, teach you. It says that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. So I'm going to read that to you. It says, this is the American King James Version. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him stays in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but that same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it is taught you, you shall abide in him. So, you know, there's a lot of error um, that we see out there in the world, uh, in Christian circles uh, with believers. There's a lot of things that people teach that aren't in the Bible. And there's a warning in the Bible that actually says there ought not many among you to be teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. So somebody who teaches error will, will be judged stricter in their actions than um, somebody who is just living their life and trying to do the things that are, are right, things that are pleasing in God's sight, and just trying to find the will of God and walk in that in their life. So there's some certain people that uh, have positioned themselves, um, just like we see in any other area, as authorities on a topic. So I just want to encourage you to remember what this scripture says, that you don't have any need to, to follow a man. You can look at people and listen to them, um, and they, you can be, they can be an example in faith for you. They can be an encouragement to you. But you don't want to lock them yourself in under any one person, so to speak, because uh, you can inadvertently get locked into their error. And error usually leads to doubt, unbelief, and fear, which leads to bondage. So just, again, quoting from Jesus, he said that the traditions of God make, or the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. He said that in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, relative to what the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees taught at that time. And the same spirit that was at work with the religious people of that day is still here in this world today. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's the same story, it's just different window dressing. Things may seem like they're new, but really it's just the same story, but in a uh, contemporary, what's to us a contemporary context. So um, Jesus said that the leaven of the Pharisees leavens the whole lump. 
So even if you're not a baker and you don't know what that means, um, you can just have a simple definition that uh, a little bit affects the whole lot. So a little bit of something bad affects the whole lot of something good. So I look at my life and I think, where is God's word not being effective? What, what part of my life, what part of my experience do I not see fruit in? So there's other words. There's other ways to put that. You know, what, what areas are you hung up in? What areas are you constantly struggled or defeated in? So when you look at scriptures like this, you can come to the conclusion that maybe my beliefs are based on tradition. And that's why God's word is of none effect in this area. So let me give you an example of this. As a, as a new Christian, I started learning a lot about faith and what faith could do, praying the prayer of faith. The Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick, the Lord shall raise them up, and if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. So a lot of the churches that I was in at the time basically taught if you're not healed, it's because you have to get the sin out of your life and you have to be pleasing to God. But here's the thing. When I look in the Bible and I actually look at the ministry of Jesus using chapter and verse, I see Jesus healing people and then saying to them, um, go your way and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. So the miracle came first, and then the warning to sin no more followed, so that that person could stay whole. But Jesus never required the person to get their life right and then come back and see him at a later point in time. He healed everyone just as they were. Everybody came to him just as they were. So if a, if a person that we would call a sinner can come to God just as they are and receive forgiveness of sins, why can't a person come just as they are and receive healing from a disease? Right? Because Jesus made this statement also. He says, whether is it easier to say, son, thy sin be forgiven thee, or rise up and take your bed and walk, but so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic man, rise up, take up your bed and walk. That was the example when they Men lowered their sick friend through the tiles and the ceiling. They lifted him up because Jesus had so many people around him. They just knew they had to get Jesus' attention. If they could do that, if they could get close to him, then their friend would get healed. So not only did Jesus forgive sins, but he healed diseases. So we have a principle works all throughout the Bible. says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the truth be established. Right? So if somebody says something, it, even in, in, in the outward realm, in uh, Bible times, you wouldn't take a railing accusation against somebody unless there was another person to back up that testimony with, the, with a testimony of their own that mirrored it or, or complemented it or went along with it. So when you see scriptures, you can take a scripture out of context and build whatever you want out of it. But in order to stay safe, you want to make sure that there's at least two to three scriptures that back up your belief. Because if you can't find them, so what people do is they'll, you can find an example of people defeated anywhere. You can look in the Bible and see people that their experience was contrary to what God's will was for them. See, God is not willing that any should perish, but we know that many perish. So there is the first clue that God's will isn't automatically done. So we have certain teachings. Uh, one teaching is that God is in control. 
And you can believe that, but then if you look at the world around you, there's a lot of things that show otherwise. So is God in control or is he not in control? So I would say that looking at situations, God's control is such that he gives us the ability to choose blessing and cursing, life and death. He said in the book of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, I've set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life that both you and your seed may live, and then you and your descendants. So you can see there that God, who is in control, has decided to give part of that control to his creation, to man. He did it in the garden. He did it with Adam. He did it with the people who came to Jesus. For example, the, um, the woman with the lunatic daughter, who was a Gentile, came to Jesus and basically asked for help for her, her daughter, that the demon be cast out of her. And he told her that he wasn't sent to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were known as the dogs, meaning unclean. He was sent to the Jews. And her response was, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he looked at her, and he was impressed by her faith. Now, where did that faith come from? Obviously, it came from the Holy Spirit gave her that faith. And she was able to get something that everybody else had to wait until the book of Acts was written to get. Are you following what I'm saying? So we see certain things that appear to be rules in the Bible, and then we see the breaking of those rules. We see certain restrictions that are upon man, and then we see those restrictions lifted. So is it no wonder that the Bible says that we see through the glass darkly now? The Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. It doesn't say don't use it. It just says don't lean on it. And you can tell when you're leaning on it because your life is filled with confusion and frustration and you'll always find yourself wondering, what do I do next? So it says, don't lean on your understanding, but trust the Lord with all your heart. Paul said it this way. My preaching and my teaching weren't with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God, that your faith not rest with the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, again, let's bring it back to ourselves. So there is no gift of judgment in the Bible. There's no gift of the spirit of judgment. In other words, your job and my job isn't to go around and correct everybody who's wrong. God, by the Holy Spirit, you put out the truth, and then it's between God's spirit and that person where the correction happens. God, only God has the ability to tweak something on the inside of them to break that hardness. Do we know how all of it works exactly? Absolutely not. But the good thing is we don't have to be um, scientific, so to speak, in order to get the benefits. Think of all the things that you use every day. You don't know how they work. And if they break, you don't know how to fix them. You just get another one. Well, God has given us things that are unbreakable. They are his word. He watches over his word, the Bible says, uh, Jeremiah 112, to perform it. There's the name of Jesus. I talked about last week, John 14, 14. 
If you call for anything in my name, I'll do it. And there's the power of the spoken word. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat the fruit thereof. And so, most of the problems we have happen after we say amen. After, most of the problems we, we experience happen between the time we finish praying and the time we actually see the answer. That's the space, so to speak, in which the good fight of faith has to be fought. Now, I wish I could tell you all the time why things take a long time. And for years, I've talked to people about this. I've asked them questions. Why do you think? Well, I've gotten different answers. Some made sense in the context of that particular story. Others didn't. Now, some people I've noticed, the real God's in control type of, of personality, meaning that every little thing that happens is in the will of God, right? See, God allows us to make poor choices. God allows us to experience the results of those poor choices. And in the midst of that, he, his mercy often ensures that we don't reap exactly what we've sown, but we reap a more moderate version of it, or else none of us would make it very far for long, right? So we don't understand how all the ins and outs of it work, but we're not called to understand that. But we can't be uh, childlike in our approach to everything insofar as we can't pretend like it's not there. We can't pretend like it's not real. We can't pretend like it's not happening. It is happening. And so what I've learned over the years is rather than fight the intellectual fight after I say amen, I have to remember to fight the good fight of faith. And what I shared with you last week was how I've done that in different situations where I faced sickness and the answer wasn't coming right away. How I would use the name of Jesus. I'm basing what I'm telling you on what I see them doing in the book of Acts. So you can go and you can look at the scriptures for yourself. For example, let's just take a look at some of these examples. Okay. Jesus sent the 70 out in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. He told them to heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of heaven had come near to them. And in Luke 10, 17, those 70 disciples returned and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they were using the name of Jesus much the same way that Peter was using the name of Jesus in the third chapter when he said to the, the lame man, who was laying at the gate called Beautiful, he says, such as I have, I give you, in the name of Jesus, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Or, like he used in Acts chapter 9, he said, in the name of Jesus, Ananias, Jesus, well, actually, he didn't say in the name of Jesus, he said, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. So, in other words, he was using the name of Jesus much like Moses in days of old used the rod that God gave him. God, Moses used that rod and then and the sea split. So that was the supernatural connection that Moses had to God. And we as sons, right? The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, male nor free, female, but all is a new creation in we're all one in Christ Jesus. We use his name 
the way Moses used that rod. Now there's an example in Mark the ninth chapter around verses 38 or through 40, somewhere in there, where the original 12 disciples returned and they said, uh, Jesus, we saw another person who doesn't follow us casting out demons in your name. Now, you don't see very much casting out of demons today, but the reason is, is because in the old world, they considered sickness and disease often the result of a demonic spirit at work or a demon power. Or some people today might feel better with demonic energy. You know, we have all these quirky ways of thinking. You use one word and somebody will say, no, 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 that's, that's this, that's not that. And then you use another word and they totally accept it. So I don't know what the right language is to use. I'm just saying that they believed that sickness and disease were the result of a demonic spirit. Now, did they believe that all spirits were, um, you know, did they look like men or did they look like animals or what did they look like? I don't know, but the men that had a legion in them, obviously they can't be very big those be spirit beings, because how could you fit thousands of spirits into one guy, right? Unless they have some kind of compression utility they use. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I work around computers a lot, so that just popped in my mind. But anyway, um, they said that, you know, we forbade this man to cast out demons because he doesn't follow us. That's kind of like what people are like today. You know, maybe you belong to a, a big popular church in your area, or maybe you don't. Maybe just fellowship with your Christian friends outside of, like, a mainline church. But Christian believers, individuals, you are the church. That's what the word church means, the called out ones. You fellowship together. They used to break bread from house to house. That's how it started. It was very personal, very intimate setting. And then some people crept in to bring error. You know the story. You can read it through the New Testament. But when the original disciples returned and said, you know, Jesus, he's not a member of our intimate group, so we forbade him. And Jesus said to them, don't forbid him, because no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. He who is not against us is on our side. So basically what he was saying that if this man is using the name of Jesus and you're seeing miracles happen, then don't forbid that person. So, in other words, that person is working with God on their own, doing in their own area. God called them to another group. Maybe they're not supposed to be in a big group at this point in time. Maybe they're supposed to be in a small group or, or with another group of people or so on and so forth. You understand what, what, I'm coming from, what I'm saying. So, using the name of Jesus. So, early on in my experience, I would use the name of Jesus and if I didn't see a result right away, then I would just assume that I did it in doubt and not faith. And so I would do it again. And I would do it again. And I would do it again. And then I would be confused because I'm thinking if nothing's happening. But see, I was judging whether something had happened or not based on what I was seeing. If I felt better or if the other person looked better, I assumed it worked. If I didn't feel better or the other person didn't look better, I assumed it didn't work. Let me give you an example. I prayed for probably a dozen people that had cataracts over a three-year period. 
And when I prayed for them, I um, spoke just in the name of Jesus. That's what I mean by praying in this particular context. I said in the name of Jesus, and I spoke to the tissues. And I did it very technically at the time because that's the way I heard somebody else do it. And the person would receive 50 to 80% of a change immediately. And they actually were able to look in their eyes and see the clouded pupils become darker again and actually hear them say, yeah, it's getting better, getting better, getting better. And some of the people left in that situation, and I said, just keep thanking God for it until it's 100%. And some of them, it went back to the way it was within like 10 minutes. And so I prayed for them again. And maybe they got like 10% better, where the first time they got 50%. So then I would hear different teachings on why that happened. I would look it up. I'd read books about it because I was interested, you know. And, you know, I, I would hear scriptures like um, Jesus could do no mighty work in his home, hometown because of the unbelief of the people. So maybe I thought it was unbelief. And I would just say, well, there's nothing else I can do. You just have to keep on believing. And that's the way I do it. So I came to a lot of conclusions, not based on what I was actually seeing in the Bible, but on my own experiences and what I had read about other people's experiences and using logic. See, and that's where the problem happens. And then the next thing I know, my expectations were very, very low. In other words, if somebody received uh, deliverance from a runny nose, I would, that would be like a big thing. So the power of God to me at that time had become something that was so far away, so distant, that every time something bad happened, I would become fearful in a much shorter order because my experience told me that things don't come easily when it comes to praying. Things don't come quickly. And we only have so much time to get this problem fixed before something even worse happens. And my expectation level began to get lower. And then I talked to people around me who had equally low expectations levels, and we each feeded each other's faith. And it took a while before, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit that shook me out of that kind of thinking and set me on solid ground again. So uh, I'm running out of time. Um, I, so I'm going to have to really pick it up here. Um, so what I'm saying to you is, after you say amen, between the time that you end your initial prayer or your initial word of faith or whatever, uh, many days can go by and you have to learn what it's going to take for you to keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep your eyes on God the Father, to keep your eyes on the promises of God. And what worked for me and took me a long time to be able to digest, and I'm digesting it more and more. I'm not saying that I'm there already or have this mastered or anything like that. I am what I am, just like you are, and I, by the grace of God, right? I mean, what other way can we put it? We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves is the gift of God. And the progress that we make, according to Jesus, he said in John chapter 15, without me you can do nothing. That's not hard to believe. So what I've learned during that time is I have to continue to do what Peter did 
in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. So if I'm pr praying for myself, I have to continue to have the words, Jesus Christ heals me. Jesus is healing me now. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. In Jesus' name, I have to repeat that over and over and over again every day until my heart stops looking at the problem and starts looking to the ability of God. Does that make any sense? The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So if you're not happy with the fruit you're eating, you got to change the words you're speaking. You're going to eat the fruit of something. Why do you think Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36? It says, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. So whether those words are actual things that, that spiritual beings or angels or demons or whatever take and use those things to enslave us or use those words to release us, we have something to do with this process. It's not all man. It's not all God. There's a connection there somewhere that we don't quite understand, but we don't have to understand it in order to reap the benefits of it. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The book of James talks about the power of the spoken word over and over and over again. Jesus taught about speaking words of faith instead of words of doubt. And he taught continual persistence. In Hebrews chapter 10, around verses 35 and 36, it says, Don't cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, but you have need of patience, and after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I believe the will of God is to continually speak words of faith day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, relative to that area where you need the victory, relative to that area where your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter or your grandchild needs the victory. It's not enough to just say it once sometimes and see the answer. That happens. You can just say something or pray for something and the answer is there, but when it's not there, instead of accepting defeat, instead of hanging your head, instead of getting discouraged, instead of comparing this time to all the other failures in the past, you have to learn to be a doer of the word. Do Proverbs 18.21. Do John 14.14. 14, and speak words of life. Some people, musical-related people, they're really into praising. We see that in the book of Acts 2, where it says that they all praise God in the midnight hour and the, and the prison uh, was shaken, or the fire of heaven fell. So, so wh whether you're mixing these positive words of life with, with praise or song, whatever it is, you know what affects you and what doesn't. And if you wake up one day and the thing that brought you so much encouragement the day before isn't doing it, rather than fall back into the intellectual realm and say, what do I do today to get back to where I was yesterday? Ask God for help. Learn to ask God first instead of going to a book or asking somebody else's opinion because this is your relationship with God. You don't have to have it via somebody else. Jesus died for you personally, not so that you can go to so-and-so and ask them their opinion or ask them to pray for you every time something goes wrong. You follow what I'm saying? So I've used, I love using the name of Jesus every day. And just firing it at whatever that problem is and thanking God for the answer. After I prayed, if I don't see the result, that is. I love doing it because every time I use the name of Jesus, I think of Jesus. And every time I think of Jesus, peace starts coming. I may have to say it like two, three dozen times before the, oh, my, the fear releases its grip on my own heart. 
I may have to say it dozens of times before the unbelief and the scales fall away from my heart, and I find myself in the same position of confidence today as I had yesterday. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for listening. If this podcast encourages you and you know somebody you think can benefit from it, copy the link or send them to faithtestedbyfire.com. Ask them to um, sign up to, for the subscription um, update list. So I don't, I, I'm not selling anything. I'm not asking for donations, so you don't have to ever worry about that. Um, but if this information helps somebody, pass it along to them so they can benefit from it too. Okay. That's all for today. Again, the main website, www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Thanks for listening. And God bless. I will talk to you again soon.